Welcome to another episode of A-Minder. This is a buffet-style episode where you'll be hearing about a selection of papers from a variety of topics, including metabolism and mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, autophagy, and gut microbiome, and how Alzheimer's disease mechanisms might involve all of these different cellular and systemic functions. Does that sound up your alley? Then stay tuned for another fantastic episode. Welcome to A-Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Thank you for joining me in our foray into AD research that was published in August of 2020. My name is Anusha, and I'll be your guide. We'll start off with eight papers on metabolic changes in AD, then five papers on mitochondrial dysfunction, followed by three on oxidative stress, one on autophagy, and ending with two papers on gut microbiome involvement in AD. As I go, I'll be numbering the papers as I introduce them, so feel free to consult our bibliography, which is available through the episode notes for the papers that jump out at you. Let's get started. The first paper is titled, Insulin Deficiency But Not Resistance Exaggerates Cognitive Deficits in Transgenic Mice Expressing Human Amyloid and Tau Proteins, Reversal by Exendin-4 Treatment. The first author is King, the last author is Jolie Vault, and the journal is the Journal of Neuroscience Research. In this paper, we explore how type 1 and type 2 diabetes, which increase the risk of AD, have different impacts on memory impairment. The authors looked into the role of insulin deficiency and insulin resistance in memory deficits. They characterized this using female mice overexpressing human tau and amyloid precursor protein. So this model is called the TAPP mouse. TAPP mice were injected with streptozotocin or fed a high-fat diet to mimic either of the two diabetes types. TAPP mice exhibited learning and memory impairments compared with wild-type mice, whereas memory deficits were made worse by insulin deficiency in the TAPP mice. Insulin resistance did not have an effect. Additionally, Increased expression of brain phosphorylated tau were found in insulin-deficient wild-type and TAPP mice. Insulin-deficient mice were also treated with Exendin-4, which is a long-lasting analog of GLP-1. In TAPP mice, this treatment improved learning but not memory impairments and reduced tau phosphorylation. Overall, These results show differential effects between type 1 and type 2 diabetes on cognitive performance and that Exendin-4 has unique effects on AD-related symptoms over its action on diabetes. The next paper, paper number 2, is called Advanced Glycation End Product Formation in Human Cerebral Cortex Increases with Alzheimer's Type Neuropathologic Changes but is not independently associated with dementia in a population-derived aging brain cohort. The first author is Chambers, and the last author is Wharton, and this was published in Journal of Neuropathology and Experimental Neurology. So we just talked about how diabetes is a risk factor for dementia. 
In diabetes, you have non-enzymatic glycosylation of macromolecules that lead to advanced glycation end products, or ages. These could impact cognitive function, but the role of it has never explicitly been studied in an AD model. The authors here studied differences in brain age formation, again, advanced glycation end products, using the cognitive function and aging study cohort. They found that ages were expressed on neurons, astrocytes, and endothelium. Although they showed total expression was positively skewed amongst the cohort population, age measures were not significantly associated with dementia. However, age was associated with pathological hallmarks such as neurofibrillary tangles and amyloid beta. Specific age expression on neurons and astrocytes was positively correlated with neurofibrillary tangles and neuritic plaques. Overall, higher age expression was associated with particular measures of Alzheimer's disease-related pathology, but not with dementia. Alright, paper number three. The Alzheimer's disease-associated C99 fragment of APP regulates cellular cholesterol trafficking. This was published in the journal EMBO and was authored by first author Montesinos and last author Aria Gomez. Cholesterol homeostasis is associated with amyloid precursor protein cleavage, but in this paper we'll look at how this is linked to Alzheimer's disease. Cellular cholesterol is typically moderated through communication between plasma membrane and the endoplasmic reticulum. Cholesterol transport between these locations may be triggered by lipid-sensing peptides using transient, detergent-resistant membrane domains. These domains help maintain homeostasis by beginning detoxification and stopping synthesis. In this study, they tested whether the 99-amino acid C-terminal fragment, also referred to as C99, of the amyloid precursor protein is a candidate lipid-sensing peptide. Increased levels of C99 in the endoplasmic reticulum, which is an early AD marker, enhanced domain function. This is done through the internalization and trafficking of extracellular cholesterol. Overall, these findings indicate C99 has a pivotal role in cholesterol homeostasis as it pertains to AD pathology. I know those papers were a little bit dense, but such is the nature of these metabolic pathway papers. Up next, we have paper number four. This is authored by Day, Smith, and others, and is titled Brain Region-Specific Lipid Alterations in the PLB4-HBACE1 Knock-In Mouse Model of Alzheimer's Disease. This was published in the journal Lipids in Health and Disease, and is another paper tying AD to lipid dysregulation. The beta site amyloid precursor protein cleavage enzyme 1, which is base 1, is associated with elevated amyloid synthesis and diabetes because of its functions in metabolic regulation. This study investigates the role of human base 1, or HBase 1, in lipid metabolism and dysregulation in specific brain regions using advanced mass spec techniques in the PLB4 HBase 1 knock in mouse model of Alzheimer's disease. They report changes in the cortex, hippocampus, and hypothalamus lipid levels in the knock in mouse model brain compared to wild type mouse brain. 
For specific results, you can refer to the paper. Again, in the bibliography, this would be paper number four. Overall, specific brain regions, including the hippocampus and hypothalamus, are vulnerable to lipid dysregulation in an AD knock-and-mouse model. These data support the idea that metabolic dysfunction has a vital role to play in both Alzheimer's and diabetes. Paper number five, which makes us feel alive, is titled Dietary Wheat Amylase Trypsin Inhibitors Impact Alzheimer's Disease Pathology in 5XFAD Model Mice. This was published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences and was authored by Dos Santos Guilherme and Andres as first and last authors. Wheat amylase trypsin inhibitors, or ATIs, represent a common dietary protein component of gluten-containing cereals. They are mostly resistant to intestinal proteases and will actually induce a mild inflammatory response after oral ingestion. Both inflammation and insulin resistance are major contributing factors to Alzheimer's disease. The authors tested the effects of chronic dietary ATIs on the 5X FAD rodent model of AD on metabolic, behavioral, inflammatory, and microbial changes. They showed that ATIs significantly affect the metabolism and gut microbiota of AD mice while making worse disease hallmarks. Overall, these data suggest that an ATI-deficient diet may actually offer a therapeutic benefit for individuals with AD. Paper number six is from Neurochemical Research. This is called Neuronostatin Promotion Soluble A-beta 1-42 to Oligomers Induced Dysfunctional Brain Glucose Metabolism in Mice. The first author here is Yang, and the last author is Yu and this was published in the journal Neurochemical Research. Neuronostatin is an endogenous peptide hormone that has previously been shown to improve oligomeric A-beta-induced cognitive impairments and increase blood glucose levels in mice. In this particular study, authors focused on the impact of A-beta and neuronostatin on brain glucose metabolism. An ICV injection of neuronostatin and oligomeric A-beta-induced glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase and phosphofructokinase mRNA levels, specifically in the cortical and hippocampal regions, treatment reduced ATP production, enzyme activities, and mRNA and protein expression of glucose transporters. Neuronostatin and oligomeric A-beta appear to enhance the effects of each other, but you can read more about this and what those specific effects were in the paper. Increased phosphorylation of the PKA, AKT, and PERC pathways was also observed in the cortex after co-administration. Overall, the results show that neuronostatin increases oligomeric A-beta effects on brain glucose metabolism through multiple signaling pathways. This brings us to paper number seven. This is titled, Association Between Leptin, Cognition, and Structural Brain Measures Among Early Middle-Aged Adults. Early is in quotation marks. Results from the Framingham Heart Study Third Generation Cohort. This was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Sanborn and last author Gunstead. 
This is another paper looking at a metabolic hormone, but this time we're focusing on leptin. Evidence has shown that dysregulation of leptin levels are associated with poor cognitive performance. The current paper tries to clarify this association by examining plasma leptin levels, neuropsychological test performance, structural neuroimaging, and body mass index from participants in the Framingham Heart Study third generation cohort. No association was found between leptin, neuropsychological measures, or brain volume. However, BMI, or body mass index, was an effect modifier for the association between leptin and verbal memory. Higher levels of leptin were associated with better performance among normal weight participants. Overall, these results show that BMI status can influence the association between leptin and certain cognitive functioning. Next up, paper number 8, by first and last authors Hajar and Upal. This is called Untargeted Metabolomics Reveal Dysregulations in Sugar, Methionine, and Tyrosine Pathways in the Prodromal State of Alzheimer's Disease. This was published in the journal Alzheimer's and Dementia, Diagnosis, Assessment, and Disease Monitoring. Changes in metabolism related to AD likely appear long before other clinical signs of the disease. Therefore, the current study uses untargeted metabolomic measures by high-resolution mass spectrometry alongside liquid chromatography to measure such changes from the cerebrospinal fluid of mild cognitive impairment, or MCI, patients and healthy controls. Almost 300 features were characteristically different between the MCI and control groups. Analysis revealed that regulatory pathways involving sugar, methionine, and tyrosine metabolism had correlated significantly with MCI-related phenotypes. In summary, this study highlights the unique metabolic signature that involves multiple regulatory pathways in MCI individuals. With paper number nine, we'll advance now to the next set of papers. In this section, we'll be focusing on mitochondrial dysfunction. The title of paper number nine is Inflammation-Induced Pinch Expression Leads to Actin Depolymerization and Mitochondrial Mislocalization in Neurons. The first author is Natraj Sinivasan, and the last author is Langford. The journal is Translational Neurodegeneration. So this paper actually has its foot in both metabolism and mitochondrial research and pertains to HIV and AD patients, which are both vulnerable to metabolic disturbances. We need a more thorough understanding of the mechanistic connection between inflammation, neurodegeneration, and bioenergetic deficits in the central nervous system. And that's where we find the domain of this paper. What is particularly interesting is that a new cysteine-histidine-rich protein, which is called PINCH, is not usually found in healthy, mature neurons, but is robustly expressed in those with HIV infection and AD. The current study, 
determine pinch-related mechanisms responsible for changes in the bioenergetic status in neurons exposed to TNF-alpha or the HIV protein TAT. MEF2A was identified as the pinch transcription factor in neuroinflammation. TNF-alpha increased pinch levels and had various downstream effects including PIP ternary complex disruption, actin depolymerization, and impaired neuronal metabolism through mitochondrial mislocalization. This study reveals pinch as a potential therapeutic target for neurodegenerative diseases with a chronic neuroinflammation component. Okay, progressing more and more into mitochondrial research, we have paper 10 by Hemerova, Hamola, and others. This was published in the journal Biomolecules and is titled Study of Biomolecular Interactions of Mitochondrial Proteins Related to Alzheimer's Disease Toward Multi-Interaction Biomolecular Processes. Accumulation of A-beta peptide leads to increasingly impaired mitochondrial function in early Alzheimer's disease by interacting with various biomolecules, but we don't yet know what these precise targets are that underlie the mechanism of dysfunction. The current work investigates the interactions between A-beta and select biomolecules in vitro using the surface plasmon resonance method to allow for direct comparison of A-beta's affinities to mitochondrial binding proteins. The authors focused on cyclophilin D and 17-beta hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase type 10 as interactors with A-beta. They were able to determine what these interactions would be like across the Alzheimer's disease progression using models that were associated with disease severity. Overall, this study provides a novel understanding of mitochondrial biomolecule interactions with A-beta as related to AD processes. Next up, paper number 11. This is called Streptozotocin Induces Alzheimer's Disease-Like Pathology in Hippocampal Neuronal Cells via CDK5 DRP1-Mediated Mitochondrial Fragmentation. The first author is Park, and the last author is Lee, and this was published in Frontiers in Cellular Neuroscience. Dysfunction in both insulin signaling and mitochondrial fission regulation both play a role in AD progression. However, the molecular mechanisms that underlie these processes in hippocampal neurons are not clear. The current study uses compounds that can induce diabetes, such as streptozotocin, in a hippocampal cell line to determine molecular interactions that are associated with mitochondrial dynamics. Treatment-induced pathological hallmarks of AD, including neuronal apoptosis, synaptic loss, and tau hyperphosphorylation. Treatment also increased phosphorylation of mitochondrial fission protein DRP1. These effects were suppressed by inhibiting mitochondrial fragmentation. Overall, the findings reveal that regulation of mitochondrial morphology may be a potential therapeutic mechanism for metabolic dysfunction in AD. Paper number 12 comes to us from the journal Autophagy, and this paper is called Mitophagy Coordination with Retrograde Transport Ensures the Integrity of Synaptic Mitochondria. The first author here is Han, and the last author is Kai. 
So mitochondria are not only found in cell bodies, but there's specifically synaptic mitochondria, which help provide energy and calcium homeostasis in or near synapses. Impaired synaptic mitochondria has been reported in early Alzheimer's disease. Mitophagy, the selective removal of damaged mitochondria, functions as a quality control in healthy cells. However, it remains unclear whether issues with mitophagy are responsible for synaptic mitochondrial deficits that are related to AD. It was recently reported that synaptic mitochondria quality is maintained by the RHEB-mediated mitophagy and dynein and snapin-driven retrograde transport. This study shows that increased mitophagy initiation and impaired retrograde transport can initiate mitophagy stress at AD synapses. This effect can be reduced by snapin-enhanced retrograde transport. Overall, these results implicate mechanisms involved in the mitophagy regulation of synaptic mitochondrial quality control and shed light on how these findings are linked to pathophysiological processes in AD. Up next is paper number 13. This is the final paper before our break. It is called Selective Linkage of Mitochondrial Enzymes to Intracellular Calcium Stores Differs Between Human-Induced Pluripotent Stem Cells, Neural Stem Cells, and Neurons. The first author is Chen, the last author is Gibson, and the journal is Journal of Neurochemistry. Mitochondria and the ER, or endoplasmic reticulum, can both modulate calcium stores and are involved in neuronal calcium signaling. The releasable calcium stores in the ER are exaggerated in multiple models of AD. This may be linked to the mitochondrial enzyme complex, alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex, and has been shown to be less active in the AD brain, which may be related to disease pathology. The authors sought to characterize the relationship between the complex and releasable calcium stores in human iPSC-derived neurons. Inhibiting the complex significantly increased the ER-releasable calcium stores in these human neurons, and this effect was specific for the neuronal state and not observed in iPSCs or neural stem cells. Overall, these findings establish the relationship between the complex and calcium stores in human neurons, and they support the use of human neurons when testing disease mechanisms and therapeutic targets. With that, let's take a short break. Remember, you can check out any of the papers that interest you through the bibliography which is available through our episode notes. Hey listeners, I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back, everyone. Now we're switching gears to talking about three papers that will be looking at the role of oxidative stress in Alzheimer's disease. We will begin with paper 14 in our episode. It is called... Increases of IASPP KEEP1 interaction mediated by syringin-enhanced synaptic plasticity and rescue cognitive impairments via stabilizing NRF2 in Alzheimer's models. First author Wang, last author Zhu, and this was published in Redox Biology. 
Oxidative stress contributes to synaptic dysfunction in Alzheimer's disease, and it does so before A-beta accumulation and neurofibrillary tangle formation. The current study looks at the relationship between vulnerability to oxidative stress and the inhibitor of apoptosis-stimulating protein of P53, which is also called IASPP, in the APPPS1 mouse brain. The authors found that treatment with an antioxidant syringe reduced neuronal cell death and increased IASPP as well as interaction of IASPP with another protein, KEEP1. There are a lot of acronyms in this paper, which I'm not going to cover in the interest of time, so if you're interested, be sure to check out paper number 14 in the bibliography. Authors here reported that syringin, which is an antioxidant, stabilized NRF2 in overexpressing human Swedish mutant APP cells. These results show that antioxidant treatment restores defenses against oxidative stress through the IASPP KEEP1 interaction. The authors propose a novel mechanism for potential AD treatment. Speaking of NRF2, the next paper, paper number 15, was published in Progress in Neurobiology and is titled Chronic Perk Induction Promotes Alzheimer's-Like Neuropathology in Down Syndrome, Insights for Therapeutic Intervention. The first author is Lanzalota, and the last author is Di Domenico. Chronic activation of PERK in the response to unfolded proteins is common in neurodegenerative disorders, and this is associated with pathological protein aggregation. Reduced translation through antioxidant production after NRF2 activation is considered to be an adaptive mechanism for the PERK pathway. Chronic PERK activation reduces protein synthesis and triggers cell death pathways. This study characterized the PERK pathway in the context of Down syndrome, since they have a higher risk of Alzheimer's disease development than the general population. Early and sustained PERK activation led to downstream signaling through EIF2-alpha and ATF4, and this was found in the frontal cortex regions of Down syndrome patients. Not only is the NRF2 response uncoupled from PERC, but the effects of NRF2 as an antioxidant was reduced in the Down syndrome population. Inhibiting PERC in Down syndrome mice rescued the phenotypes, so their findings suggest that an overactive PERC pathway may contribute to early AD pathology. Next, we have the sweet 16th paper of this episode, and the last one looking at oxidative stress. It is called... Effect of an intracerebroventricular injection of aggregated beta amyloid 1 to 42 on daily rhythms of oxidative stress parameters in the prefrontal cortex. The first author is Ledesma, and the last author is Anjulovic. This was published in Neuroscience. Aggregated beta amyloid or A beta peptides increase intracellular reactive oxygen species. This is probably coupled to a reduced antioxidant function. The prefrontal cortex is especially vulnerable to oxidative stress and functions in memory and learning. The current study investigated the effects of an ICV injection of A-beta 1-42 on oxidative stress in the rat prefrontal cortex over a 24-hour period. Injection with A-beta had numerous oxidative effects, including increasing lipid peroxidation, reducing antioxidant capacity, and phase-shifting the daily peak of reduced glutathione. 
Overall, injection of A-beta throughout the brain altered cellular redox patterns in the rat prefrontal cortex, and these findings shed light on circadian rhythm changes in redox mechanisms in individuals with Alzheimer's disease. For some of you, this next paper may be the only paper you care about in this episode, as it's the only one that directly addresses autophagy. Although that's probably not the case because there is so much overlap between the other sections we've covered. But without further ado, we have paper number 17. Non-canonical function of an autophagy protein prevents spontaneous Alzheimer's disease. This was published in Science Advances by first and last authors Heckman and Green. Non-canonical or non-traditional functions of autophagic proteins have been associated with neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease. The current study looked at the role of the autophagic protein ATG16L and more specifically the WD domain by studying AD-related pathology in aged domain-deficient mice. This domain is essential for ATGL's non-canonical functions. Without it, mice exhibited elevated levels of beta-amyloid pathology, tau hyperphosphorylation, reactive microgliosis, neurodegeneration, and severe behavioral and memory deficits. These pathologies can be directly related to human AD. Reducing neuroinflammation using a pharmacological approach improved memory impairment and pathology. In addition, authors found that in primary microglia, the WD domain was necessary for beta amyloid receptor recycling. Overall, deficiency of ATG16L WD domain seems to lead to both AD pathology and symptoms that can be treated with neuroinflammation suppressants. We are in the home stretch here, only a couple papers left in this episode, and they both deal with the gut microbiome. This is now paper number 18 and comes to us from the journal eBiomedicine by first and last authors Nagpal and Yadav. It is titled Gut Mycobiome and its Interaction with Diet, Gut Bacteria, and Alzheimer's Disease Markers in Subjects with Mild Cognitive Impairment, a pilot study. We're seeing more and more of a link between the gut microbiome and neurodegenerative disease in the literature. Even individuals with mild cognitive impairment, or MCI, have a unique gut bacterial signature. A modified Mediterranean ketogenic diet alleviates AD markers in the cerebrospinal fluid, or CSF, and diminishes the gut bacteria signature. However, whether the gut fungi or microbiome is associated with these markers is not known. Therefore, the authors measured the gut microbiome through sequencing assays in healthy and MCI cases before and after being on modified diets. The MCI cohort expressed different levels in various gut fungi compared to healthy controls. For specific details, please refer to the paper, paper number 18, in the bibliography. Certain fungi were correlated with AD markers and the gut bacteria of the MCI cohort. The modified diet affected the MCI cohort differently from healthy controls by having a broader effect on fungal diversity. Overall, these findings show microbiome signatures that are unique to MCI and that certain diets can affect these signatures along with AD markers in individuals who have MCI. Here it is, paper number 19, 
the final paper of this episode. It is called Gut Metabolite TMAO Induces Synaptic Plasticity Deficits by Promoting Endoplasmic Reticulum Stress. The first author is Govindarajulu, and the last author is Amin. The last author is Amin. This was published in Frontiers in Molecular Neuroscience. The gut-dependent metabolite, trimethylamine N-oxide, or TMAO, is implicated in age-related cognitive decline. The authors investigated the relationship between TMAO and synaptic plasticity in the 3XTG AD mouse model. They also looked at TMAO and insulin resistance in the leptin-deficient mouse model. Plasma and brain TMAO levels were elevated in both AD and leptin-deficient mouse models compared to wild-type mice. This increase was found to progress with age. Both groups of mice also showed lower levels of long-term potentiation in the hippocampus. Hippocampal slices from wild-type mice were treated with TMAO, which also led to reduced synaptic transmission. The authors found that TMAO activated the PERC EIF2-alpha ER stress signaling pathway in the ex vivo and in vivo experiments. Overall, the results suggest that TMAO is a potential therapeutic target and implicate its role in synaptic plasticity functioning through the stress-mediated PERC pathway. What a fantastic way to end this episode, a paper that not only ties together multiple themes we've looked at in this episode, but also on a personal level reflects my research history in synaptic function and neuroendocrinology. I'll take a moment to remind you that with each episode comes a complimentary bibliography for your reference, which is linked through the episode notes. I'd like to thank Melissa on our team who summarized these papers so efficiently. If you think you'd make a great addition to our team, we're still recruiting people. No experience is necessary, but go ahead and email us with a CV. You can also stay in touch by signing up for our mailing list. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On another note, I actually wrote the Aminder music that you hear, so if you're curious, please check out my SoundCloud, which is under my name, Anusha Kamesh, or find me on YouTube at AK Music. The goal of our podcast is to make our content useful and accessible. I really hope that my team and I were able to deliver that for you in this episode. Thank you so much for perusing literature with me, and I hope we get to meet again in next month's set of episodes. Have yourselves a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you and goodbye.